2: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Thank you for listening this morning. I am joined by Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Michael Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, welcome back. Uh, You're a veteran of the CIA as well and of the Benghazi Committee. So I appreciate your joining me this morning. Good morning. Great to be back with you. Uh, my first question is: Is it? Do you have any knowledge? Is it possible that we are not actually in the supine position we appear to be in Afghanistan, but that some sort of veiled operation is underway?
3: No, no it's not. Uh, it is. It is pretty clear that the, the failure of this administration to properly execute their strategic vision. Their strategic vision, obviously, was to get out of Afghanistan to, to execute in a way that secured American freedom, protected us. Got civilians out. I'll, I'll just block, the blocking and tackling of American security has been an abysmal failure, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But this has significant ramifications for America's national security, our, our our place in the world. That will be a long time in trying to figure out how to get back from.
2: We will now. When you left office in January, the Doha Agreement uh, was in force. It had not been repudiated. The Taliban broke that not later than March by twice targeting one of the most heavily guarded bases in the country, operating base Chapman, forward operating base Chapman, quote, a classified U.S. military installation in eastern Afghanistan, wounded seven civilians outside the base. Uh, What would the response of the Trump administration have been to the breaking of the Doha agreement in that fashion?
3: I can't talk about a specific instance, but I can say this. There were uh, a whole handful of times that the Taliban didn't live up to the commitments that they'd made not only to us orally, to the folks on the ground, but in the agreement that we signed in February of 2020. There were, there were more than a few instances. In every one of those instances, we, we responded in the way that we had told them we would respond. We imposed real costs on them. We made clear that the costs that we were imposing on them were connected to their violation of the agreement Right? This is how you execute a deterrence model. They violate the agreement. You respond with a cost that exceeds what they had done. You make clear that you did this in response to their violation, and you tell them, don't do it again. And if you do, we'll come back harder, faster, stronger next time. We did this on multiple occasions, and over the course of the subsequent months, now 11, while we were still in office, we had established a model that made clear to the Taliban that this was this would be our modus vivendi. And you know we, we shut them largely down. They didn't go take provincial capitals in large measure. They didn't go violate uh, some of the most fundamental things that put Americans at risk. We didn't have a single American killed you. We didn't have a single organized attack on an American in that entire time, not because of the piece of paper, but because of the understandings were there. And we made clear we would enforce them. This administration pulled the pin on that last stick in the Jenga pile and did nothing when the Taliban responded. Indeed, they withdrew under pressure instead of crushing them in response to pressure.
2: Would would you have advised the president, uh, President Trump, had he been reelected, to withdraw the 2,500 Americans, 5,000 NATO troops and U.S. air power that ultimately led to the collapse of the Afghan army?
3: Well, we can talk about the how, but I can talk about the when in great detail. We made clear to the president that um, his objective, which was to get our boys and girls home, make no mistake about it, President Trump very much wanted to do that. And we did successfully get nearly all of them back. We got down from a little over 15,000 to 2,500. But our wisdom to him each time was to make sure we do this in a way that was conditions-based, that conditions had to be right, that we could protect our allies and friends, get our people home, get all of our equipment out, still conduct the second mission, because the president gave me two missions and our team two missions. He gave us a second mission. The second mission was to make sure that we were in a place that we could continue to reduce the risk that we'd be attacked from that place again, like we were now, goodness, almost just a couple of weeks short now of 20 years ago. And so my wisdom to him would be, yes, sir, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll continue to build out the conditions. We'll try to get a negotiated solution between all of the Afghans, not just the Taliban and the government, but the folks in the North, the folks in Herat, and in the West, everyone. But until we do, until the conditions are right, we have to make sure that we achieve those twin objectives. So, we weren't at that place, as you can see. When we left office, we weren't able to get the last 2,500 or so uniformed military folks out of the country. My guidance to the president, my my recommendation to the president was to leave what we had there. We had stability at the 2,500-person level, and this administration came in, much like they did on our southern border, and just said, Trump did that, we're going to go rip it up.
2: Let me ask you about the Washington Post story by Aaron Blake, headline, Trump official scramble for distance from his Taliban deal. The New York Times Michael Crowley story, quote, Trump's deal with Taliban draws fires from his former allies, in which is quoted H.R. McMaster's, quote, our secretary of state signed a surrender agreement with the Taliban. Uh, This collapse goes back to the capitulation agreement of 2020. According to General McMaster, the Taliban didn't defeat us. We defeated ourselves. Your reaction, Mr. Secretary?
3: Look, there's a group of folks and General McMaster is above them that want to be in Afghanistan forever and believe that that was the only solution. And so when I say wanted to be there, they, it's not that they wanted to have our kids in harm's way. It's that they believe fundamentally that they had been in this an awfully long time and they saw no other solution to this. Uh, when he when he uses that language, he's just simply wrong. Remember, General McMaster was in charge of the anti-corruption campaign in Afghanistan. But these were these were missions that just simply failed. They they didn't work. We, we can see that now, and President Trump saw that too. We had a model that was fundamentally different. There are folks on the Republican side who, all along the way, as we were working to build out a resolution, uh, didn't like what we were doing. They, the Ghani would call them after I after I left a trip to Afghanistan. President Ghani would call them and demand more American money and. More American resources, and tell them that it would be the Trump administration that would be the undoing of, of Afghanistan. It, it wasn't us; we, we we got this right, you know. And as for the negotiation, this this is who you make peace with you you make peace with your adversaries. And we knew this was a long process. Think back to think back to Colombia, right? Uh, years and years of negotiation with the FARC, and ultimately reached an imperfect solution there too. We were trying to find a way to get all the Afghans at the table in the conversation that ultimately Afghanistan will have to go through if they're ever going to get to a more stable place. Now, we've gone backwards. We've probably lost two decades as a result of the way that President Biden conducted this withdrawal. It was anything but orderly and safe, as he had laid out.
2: Uh, Mr. Secretary, the Wall Street Journal's Yaroslav Trofimov reported that the, quote, U.S. pulled its air support, intelligence and contractors servicing Afghanistan planes and helicopters this meant the Afghan military simply couldn't operate anymore. Was that the Trump administration's plan as well, or is that the significant difference between the two administrations?
3: Well, there were multiple differences—differences uh, differences in the when and differences in the how. I think you're suggesting a difference in the how. Look, we, had, yes. we had a theory—we had a theory of the case on the how, which made clear that you had to get—you had to get the sequencing right. President Trump was clear. I, I, I can't tell you how many times we had this conversation where the president would say, great, take, take the time you need, get it right, get the, make sure we get our civilians drawn down. We had started to do that. I'd reduced the diplomatic presence in Kabul significantly. By the time we left in January of 2020, we, we, we knew that there's a day um, where we would find the conditions right would coming, and so we wanted to get the force posture right. and The civilian piece of that was really important team just completely forgot that. We knew, too, it was important uh, that the facilities that mattered most, in, including the uh, the primary pipeline for the, the primary conduit for equipment and people and material to move in and out, Bagram Air Force Base, was a key component of this as well. These folks decided to close that down early without notice to our allies, friends, and our partners in Afghanistan. The, the tactics and the operational level execution of this have been horrific and will have enormous consequences in the years ahead. So, you no know, our our how, our how of we would execute this was very, very different. And, of course, the when was conditions based, unlike what President Biden and his team have chosen to do.
2: Let me ask you one more how question. You spent hundreds of hours in meetings with General Milley and others. Was there ever any discussion that you were called? Of abandoning more than ten thousand Americans after closing Bagram, I mean, did closing Bagram first before ev- evacuating Americans ever come up? Was that on anyone's radar?
3: We we never we never talked about leaving any American civilians behind. We we were not only going to work to get the civilians out, the American civilians out. We were going to work diligently to make sure we got every stitch. I remember the president talking about making sure you get every nail. Every nail picked up from that place as best you can. We would, have, There might have been structure and the like that we would have had to take down and explode and crush before we left. We might not have gotten 100 percent of that material out. But we were determined to get every American, including every American civilian and every piece of equipment out when the conditions were right for us to go down below that 2,500 number.
2: I'm sure you've seen the president's speeches and the transcript. ABC will not release the video of his interview with George Stephanopoulos. He's going to speak again, you know, third time's a charm maybe today on Afghanistan. The transcript is not particularly coherent. He says there was no consensus. Then he suggests there was a consensus. Then he suggests that there was a plan and then there was no plan. Uh, Right now, he said no one's being killed. People are being killed. He said the falling from the airplane was four or five days ago. What did you make of that transcript, Mr. Secretary?
3: It was disheartening to watch America's commander in chief, its leader, the person tasked with keeping Americans safe, not only Americans here at home, but responsible for the safety of our people all around the world, including our military. Uh, It it was hard to watch because it made no sense. It wasn't based on logic. It, It was The remarks reflected precisely what you're seeing play out in Kabul and the surrounding areas in Afghanistan today. Uh, It was not thought through. It was horribly executed, and it created an even more risk because uh, I must assure you, not just you, Hugh, not just me, but leaders all around the world. Our friends, our adversaries alike are watching that as well, and they didn't see a president who had a strategic grasp of the situation on the ground. They didn't see a president who was engaged at the tactical levels sufficiently to provide the guidance that needs to be provided. And they didn't see a president who was prepared to defend American values and to impose costs on our adversaries if our American values were at risk.
2: General Milley, during a briefing for a bipartisan group of senators this week, was asked by Senator Graham if he and the defense secretary would revise an assessment he gave in Congress to June uh, that there is a medium... Risk of terrorist organizations constituting, uh, Millie said there's a medium risk now uh, of terrorist organizations reconstituting in Afghanistan in less than two years. What does that even mean, Mr. Secretary?
3: Well, I read all the intelligence for not only four years, but I had seen the intelligence on this issue in the six years prior to that when I, excuse me, the four years prior to that when I was on the Intelligence Committee as well. Well, I can't comment specifically on it. The intelligence community was pretty clear. All along, that there was risk of collapse of the of the Afghan government. Remember, this was, it was so for your listeners. This was a corrupt government from the get go. Ghani was a bad actor. He was perhaps the best of the worst. Certainly, that's what the previous administration to us had thought. But this guy, this guy wasn't. This is was no Thomas Jefferson. This is a this is a nation that didn't have a central casting leader who was prepared to actually lead Afghanistan forward. And so the political underpinnings of that stability put aside for a moment the Afghan National Security Forces capability to fight, the political underpinnings of security inside of that country were always ephemeral. They were always something that we worried about. When we would talk with our most senior military leaders and they were dealing directly with the Afghan National Security Forces, it was always that political incoherence and the corruption in Afghanistan that concerned them most. And it led the intelligence committee to be pretty clear, Hugh, that there was always the risk if the United States didn't maintain its posture there that they would, the Afghan government would collapse. One last note. There's two pieces to this. One, one is the military presence, the actual advisors that were on the ground. You, you'll recall we left combat operations as a technical legal matter before, but we were certainly out on the ground working alongside those Afghan forces. But the second piece is payroll. It was the United States government that was making payroll for the Afghan National Security Forces as well. We always knew that that payroll, and President Trump was clear about this as well, that payroll component, the fact that we were going to be prepared to continue to financially underwrite the Afghan National Security Forces was also perhaps the central linchpin of American security these last 15 years. And I I think when Ghani fled and they saw the Americans pulling out while leaving their own civilians behind, I think the Afghan military said, I wonder if my check's going to clear next week.
2: Let's talk about those civilians. People have been left behind. Americans, allies, Afghan people. Would President Trump, you have ever allowed the Americans to be stranded this way? And should we use all necessary force and communicate that to get the Americans out? Step one.
3: Well, you, you can could, you could never talk about the counterfactual. We're not there. And so what someone says, well, what would have happened? It is impossible to answer that question with absolute certainty. I can give you the data and facts from the four years that I served. For four years, we never allowed that to happen. I can't imagine that our administration would have permitted to happen. These civilians stranded and have our senior leaders stand at the podium and say that the United States doesn't have the capacity to go get them back. What's clear is that we simply don't, under this administration, have the will to go get them. Thanks to other times, right? Wuhan virus spreads around the world. We repatriate 140,000 American civilians from around the world. A different situation to be sure, but a clear determination that we're going to let Americans be stuck in Machu Picchu or in Morocco or any place else. We're going to get our people home. We're going to use American power, money, resources to execute that mission. I'm confident that the president today, if he were there, would be demanding that we do that. He'd be Demanding that the military execute a plan along with our State Department officials on the ground to identify and then get these folks out and get them back home.
2: My last question, Mr. Secretary, I know your time is limited. Taiwan, Ukraine, and Pakistan. These are the immediate consequence nations from our collapse. I think it's a very dangerous moment for uh, the first two con- countries, and I am. Disgusted with the third, what ought to be the consequences what, what for Pakistan, and what should we be doing for Taiwan and Ukraine on the front lines of America's enemies?
3: I said yesterday to a group of folks I was with that uh, they asked, what, what could we do to begin to restore America's credibility in the world? Uh, I think a really good start would be to begin delivering significant weapon systems to Taiwan, just as an absolute show that the United States is going to continue to be with them and make clear to the Chinese Communist Party, that what happened in Afghanistan is not going to happen in Taipei. What do I mean by that? America is not going to abandon a longtime foe in the face of a threat. A longtime ally? A longtime Communist ally. Party. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Not going to abandon, I'm sorry, an ally in the face of a threat from the Chinese Communist Party. Ukraine, the same. I talked about the fact that it would be a really good time to send a high-level mission to Ukraine and a team there that was prepared to engage in economic activity. You could still make the decision to close down the Nord Stream 2 pipeline map bolstering the Ukrainian people, those are the kinds of things that a leader could do today to demonstrate to our allies around the world, every country, from the Middle East to Southeast Asia, to demonstrate to them that America will continue to stand with its friends in the face of challenges from our adversary. What happened here, Hugh, is clear. The Taliban pushed, they violated the agreement for sure, but they pushed on America and America withdrew. When that happened in the Trump administration, when our adversaries pushed on America, America responded. With real force. When Qasem Soleimani threatened Americans, we took down that threat. When al-Baghdadi and his ISIS caliphate threatened America, we took down that threat. This administration has taken precisely opposite response, and it calls for American leadership to demonstrate today that we're still going to be with our friends in tough times.
2: Mr. Secretary, I know your time is limited. Thank you for joining me. Come back often, and uh, uh, thank you. I
3: appreciate it. Thank you, Hugh. Have a good morning, sir. uh,
2: I've got to say... The president of the United States, I hope he is listening, needs to take questions today like Mike Pompeo just took questions. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.
1: This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for TownHall.com. President Biden is defending his decision to pull U.S. forces out of Afghanistan. But the problem is not that he pulled out, but rather how he pulled out. Americans overwhelmingly wanted out of this war, and yet 70 percent of us disapprove of Biden's action. Why? Because it was bungled. After offering confident assurances to the press about the ability of Afghan forces to resist the Taliban, the nation fell in a single week. The bad news is likely to keep rolling in as America rolls out refugees, violent vendettas against anyone who cooperated with us and a nation awash with millions of new guns paid for by American taxpayers in the hands of Stone Age warlords. This debacle will haunt not just President Biden, but more importantly, it will haunt America for a long time. I'm Jerry Boyer.
0: The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, impacting policy decisions today, preparing public leaders for tomorrow